Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Dirty Talk podcast. This is Chris, and as always, joining me on the other side of the bed is... As always, joining... Wait, I'm... I'm is this Chris's podcast? Wait, no, okay. fine. Do you want to do the intro? No, 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 no. <laughs> oh, no, do it again. I'm sorry. I got confused. No, no. You know what? Pick it up from here. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I apologize. I was wrong. Can you do it again? I'll be good. Please. I'm leaving all this in. You understand. <sighs> You're an evil man. You're so evil. Yep. I don't consent. <laughs> you don't consent? Nope. I don't care. <sighs> Are you trying to bring up the topic of this podcast? Why, yes, I am. So all that's being left in. God damn it. Do you consent to that being left into the podcast? I'll have to listen to it, and I'll have to listen to the final product before I do. Hey there, everybody. This is Chris. And as always, joining me on the other side of the bed is... Me. Hi. Rain de Grey. <laughs> How's it going? What's up? Hi, Rain. Hi, Chris. Today, we're going to get a little serious. Oh, yeah. Serious does happen sometimes. Why are we getting serious today? I know that we usually like to keep it a little lighthearted, but once in a while, serious topics come up that we do discuss. And one of those serious topics came up when you were doing an interview with Amy Baldwin. Correct. From the Shameless Sex podcast. I'm actually really happy to have Amy on. She was a Patreon request. She's someone that I've known for a decade. And when we do do interviews, we have a basic outline and idea of what the structure is going to look like. But in the process of the interview, things can kind of shift. And as this interview unfolded, one of the things that came up is that she is having some it's fairly significant stocking issues to the point that she no longer works in the store that she was working with her mother because she's become a bit of a public figure. And as someone who's gone through very similar experiences themselves, I can certainly relate. As the interview unfolded, I realized that the topic for this podcast was going to be consent and stocking. Because it seems like those topics keep coming up again in the mainstream media and the mainstream consciousness, especially with the Me Too movements, the Supreme Court Kavanaugh hearings, and of course, that guy that is occupying the Oval Office currently. Yeah, not exactly a poster boy for consent. Yeah, or behaving appropriately with women. It's a more serious topic, and I understand that, but I also think it's something that does need to be discussed and addressed. Well, it does need to be talked about, and it is very concerning for me because I have a nine-year-old daughter, and I am concerned for her as she grows up in this world uh, that she is going to be running into issues around these topics as well. Basically, being a female in this world is like trying to walk down a street battling a thrusting blizzard of hopeful dick. And you're just dodging dick left and right. And all you want to do is get from point A to point B, but you have to wade through a tsunami storm of hopeful penises. And sometimes those penises are not always respectful or super concerned with consent. No, they're not. Unfortunately, it seems that 100% of the women I know have had some sort of issue with either sexual abuse, 
sexual assault or just people not behaving in appropriate way towards them. Would you say that this was your experience as well? 100%. I have yet to meet someone, granted maybe someone like my grandmother wouldn't talk about it or someone that I didn't know, but when I have had any sort of level of honesty or I'm talking to any sort of woman, they've had something happen, something where they've been uncomfortable, something where their boundaries haven't been respected, something where they've been in a potentially dangerous situation. It's almost a guaranteed part of the female experience on this planet. And especially now with the internet age, and I feel really bad for these kids growing up in the internet age. When we were young, we didn't have people taking photos and videos of every single interaction that we had. My daughter just had her first experience with this with another boy, and she's only in fourth grade. But the boy was overplaying. They were working on a school project, and they decided to record a video while he was here. There was nothing inappropriate that happened in the video. She wasn't doing anything inappropriate. I guess she was jumping off the stairs. But she asked him not to post the video online, and he said he would not. But then she found out a few days later at school that he broke his promise and put it up online. And he had a whole packet full of excuses. First, he claimed that he was looking at the video and he got bumped from behind and his thumb accidentally pressed the button. His brother pushed him and he accidentally pushed the button to upload it to the app. And the other version was that his brother stole his phone and uploaded it. Yeah, very weak excuses. But of course, this is coming from a nine-year-old boy. The valuable lesson for her to learn here is that any pictures any video, any anything that you give somebody can and probably will wind up online. So I want her to learn this lesson now before she's a teenager and possibly start sending pictures to boys mm-hmm. via text. Mm-hmm. People get excited and they end up posting things online even if they specifically promise they won't. They do. I am so grateful that there were not the ubiquitous cell phones that we have now when I was a teenager. I mean, there were cell phones, but they were phones. They did phone-like things. They weren't able to video and photograph every single movement and twitch. And there are videos that get recorded. Uh, Wasn't there a a girl that committed suicide? Yeah, there was a girl that was sexually assaulted by a number of boys, and they took a video of it and believed they posted it online. Mm Mm-hmm. And she was so distraught that she wound up killing herself. And it's unfortunate that these kids living in this internet generation, there's no more privacy anymore. They get cyberbullied because of this. And it's one thing that you are so horribly violated by a group of boys, but it's a whole nother thing to have it filmed and then released to the general public and then having to see it and witness that violation over and over again. And it eventually drove her crazy and she killed herself because of it. Yeah. Because unfortunately, those kind of things stay with you forever. They do not go away. No. So we are going to be discussing this topic today about how to deal with significant others, appropriate boundaries, how to find people to interact with and the appropriate ways to go about doing it. But before we get into that, we want to remind everybody that we are always taking questions for the podcast. At... 614 R. DeGray. That is 614-733-4739. Call in, leave a message. We never answer that line. It's a message-only line. 
and we will never pick up. We will never call back. So stop leaving messages saying, hey, I want to talk to you. Give me a call back. I get a lot of those. Uh, We'll be right back after this. I wanted to start it off with the most common question that you are asked by your male fans. Which would be? Well, what is the most common question you are asked by your male fans? It's disguised under multiple layers. So here is what the, it could sound like, but we're going to answer the, the basic core question. So I get asked, where can I find someone to peg me? Where can I find someone to tie up? Where can I find someone to tie me up? Where can I find someone to tickle? Where can I find someone to tickle me? Where can I find someone to worship their feet? Where can I find someone to spank? Where can I find someone to spank me? Are you noticing a common denominator with all of these questions? I am. And being a man, I want to answer all these men that keep contacting you with what is essentially the same question. I want to have a little heart-to-heart with y'all. Pull up a chair. We'll have a little fireside chat. Maybe grab a snifter of brandy. Here's a little segment that I like to call Man Talk. Man Talk. Welcome, gentlemen. Ladies, you can listen to if you'd like, or you can leave the room at this point, come back in a few minutes, check back in, see what's going on. So Man to Man... When I see these questions, and I check a lot of the emails, and I see these questions coming in, all I'm hearing is, where can I find someone to have sex with? That is the basis of this question. doesn't matter what kind of sex you want to have. You could have kinky sex. You could have vanilla sex. You want to get tied up and tickled. You want to get degraded and fucked up the ass. doesn't matter. What you're asking for is, where can I find an intimate partner? Period. I have the magic answer for you. And the magic answer is, there is no magic answer. There is no magic place you go and find the particular partner that you want for this particular thing. There is no magic place you are going to find this person. You have to put in the legwork. You can't expect somebody else to do the homework for you and point you in the direction saying, oh, here, here's where all the women who love to peg hang out because they don't know where they love to hang out. It's not like there's some underground association of pegging girls that all hang out and say, oh, we just happened to be at this bar at this particular time. Where are all the guys that like to be pegged? Why don't they ever show up here? It doesn't happen. You have to leave your house. You have to do the legwork. You have to do the homework. What you're looking for is a partner. It's the exact same thing as dating. A lot of dates don't work out, but you have to keep trying. You go to the places where potential partners are. You can go to munches. You can go to play spaces. You can go to classes. You can go to events. People are out there that are interested in the same thing that you are interested in. The thing is, you are not entitled to anybody interacting with you in any sort of personal way. Don't ever go in dick first. That is the wrong way to go about it. 
Someone leads with the dick, obviously they're a dick. And when I say don't lead with the dick, I mean don't lead with your kink. No one wants to feel like they're an interchangeable cog in your kink machine. Don't go in there saying, oh, I'm looking for this person to do this to me, to do that to me, anything like that. Could have nothing to do with your dick. This includes you submissive guys out there. Just because you feel like you're not being sexually aggressive, don't go forcing your unwanted submission on somebody else. No one will ever care as much about your dick as you do. So don't ever believe that you are entitled to anybody interacting with you in any sort of way. If you want the shortcut workaround, here you go. Go hire a professional. If you don't want to go through the time and energy of meeting somebody new, getting to know them, getting to know their friends, having to actually socialize with them, go pay somebody to do it. There's nothing wrong with that. That's why there's professionals out there. There's plenty of professional doms willing to do anything that you want to be done to you for a price. Go discuss it with them, set up a date and time, and you will magically have all your needs fulfilled. I know there's a lot of guys out there that don't want to have to pay for professional services, but if you want to guarantee that you are going to receive exactly what you want to receive, that is the 100% way to go about it. So there you have it. I hope that this will end the slew of emails that we keep receiving with guys wanting to know where can I find this, that, and the other thing. It won't. Mm, <laughs> I can always remain hopeful. Well, ladies, you can come back in. We're done with our man talk. talk. Hey, Randy Gray. Hey, Chris W. Where would I go if I wanted to hear more of us talking. We are fascinating and engaging. I don't blame you. So you want even more of this awesomeness? Yes, more of this awesomeness, plus more regularly. So more than once a month is what you're saying? Yes, possibly even weekly. Where could I go where I could hear us talking about interesting things and also the strange, fun happenstances of our lives? Well... I suppose you could go to patreon.com backslash rain to gray and become a $5 and over subscriber and you would get to hear weekly episodes of Dirty Talk After, After Hours, which is something that we have created because my lovely, amazing, talented editor takes his job really seriously. And these podcasts are a labor of love that take a really long time. So we're doing a slightly more organic, freeform, weekly posting. Yes. That's totally what you should do. <laughs> yes. Go to patreon.com backslash rain to gray, and you can get even more of us Of talking. all of this awesomeness. Coming to you from a strange, exotic location every week. Oh, that's right. We're well-traveled. We True. are. We've done podcasts in Transylvania, Egypt... Germany. An exploding Zeppelin. An exploding Zeppelin. Yes, we're all over the place. <laughs> it's hard work being this fabulous, but someone has to do it. Yeah. So join us every week for Dirty Talk After, after Hours. hours.
You ready to touch on the topic of consent? I know consent is something that you talk a lot about in your classes, especially when it comes to scene negotiation. Yes, I do. It's definitely a topic that is on the forefront of news right now with the Me Too movement happening. People are discussing some sometimes challenging, complex stuff for the first time in human history. And this stuff is complex, but it is also a really important and crucial conversation to be having. And that is the conversation we're having now. It's not an easy one because of how tricky consent is. I've certainly violated consent, not intentionally, not something that I plan to do in a malicious way, but I would get feedback after the fact, my consent's been violated. Consent is something that it's it's really important to have that conversation early. And if you think about it, children, their rights for consent are taken away. Think about how deeply ingrained it is in our culture. Go sit on grandma's lap. Give grandpa a hug. Come here and take a tickle. We're not teaching children they have the right to consent what happens to their own bodies. That's yeah, we're really... dictating what they can and cannot do. And if they argue, then we argue Make them hug them. it out. No, when you're... just do it. Just go give your auntie a kiss. It's, and it's horrible. I remember as a child being forced to do that and hating it and finding it really unpleasant. Body autonomy is something that even a small child should have. And when you're taking that away and forcing the child to sit on someone's lap and take a kiss and a hug when it's not something they want, that's not setting the foundation for healthy consent relationships in the future. One of the things I have been reading a lot about when people are describing their consent violations is that our society does train people to consider other people's feelings first, that their feelings are secondary and that you have to please the other person. So even though you're doing something that you don't necessarily agree with and don't say no to at the time, it's only because you were trying to deal with the unpleasant situation of hurting somebody else's feelings. You don't want to be rude. You don't want to cause a fuss. Just grit your teeth and get through it. It'll be fine. What's prioritized is making sure other people don't feel uncomfortable. And I think that's what we are training the children to do when we force them into those uncomfortable situations where they don't really have a choice as to whether they want to interact with, to them, are almost strangers because they only see these people around the holidays. I remember as a child not at all being enthusiastic about having to interact with someone that was in essentially a relative stranger, but it didn't matter. You had to go sit on their lap. You had to go give them a hug. You had to go give them a kiss on the cheek because that was what was considered polite. And as a kid, you have no choice. And that choice should not be taken away from anyone, even children. No, definitely not. In your professional opinion, how would you go about establishing consent in a scene? Communication. What is tricky and not sexy and not fun to do is the communication. We have the fantasy that it's going to be effortless and fluid and People are going to read each other's mind. You don't have to do any of that weird, awkward unpacking of talking. That's the fantasy that we want. But when we bypass negotiation, when we bypass communication and try and dive straight into sexy times, that's where you're setting yourself up to fail. One of the first things that I stopped doing, and this is something that just works for me personally, I no longer do same-day pickup play. I used to. I used to go to dungeons and I would meet someone and end up playing with them that night. And most of the time, it went okay. But sometimes, more than I would like, it would go off the rails. My own personal technique these days 
is if I am trying to negotiate a situation with someone, I would prefer to actually over-negotiate as opposed to under-negotiate. And if it takes some of the sexy away and that's not the fantasy that works for you and the other person gets frustrated and walks away, I consider that a sign that that wasn't someone I was meant to interact with in the first place. I want to sit down with you and find out exactly what your needs are, what it is you're looking to accomplish, what things you're not comfortable with, what things might be a trigger for you, what it is that I'm looking to have happen, what I want to get out of it, and the things I don't want to do. And you have to have an honest, clear, direct dialogue about that. If you haven't done that dialogue, you haven't done that communication, you're setting yourself up for a potential disaster. And once you have established the framework of what it is the two of you are going to be doing, don't deviate from that. Don't get all creative in the middle of it and think, oh, even though we didn't go over this and we didn't discuss it and they didn't consent, I'm just going to throw this in because I think this is a cool thing. And don't ask for that consent in the middle of the scene when the adrenaline is flying and the endorphins are buzzing. People could end up agreeing to something in the moment and having regret the next day. When you're doing a scene properly, people are fucked up. They are high. The adrenaline endorphin that are flowing through, you might as well be drunk. Just like a drunk person cannot consent to something, sure, they can do it, but that's not properly established consent and you do get regrets the next day. People are just as intoxicated if you're in the middle of a scene. And when you throw in something that you have not consented, you are setting yourself up potentially for a lot of unpleasantness down the line. And you don't want to be that person. You don't want to be that person that gets a reputation of surprise, bonus, unexpected, throwing in something, this has gone off the rails, everybody's unhappy. It's simply not worth the risk. One of the main problems that comes up is even if you are operating within the guidelines of the scene, sometimes people will revoke consent in the middle of the scene. And even though you haven't gone beyond any of the established boundaries, it is important to remember that people can revoke consent at any point in time for any reason. And that is the bottom's right. As frustrating as it is to feel that you're in the middle of something and suddenly the brakes are thrown on, and you're like, but wait, we, we were just in the middle. It doesn't matter. When the brakes are thrown on, when consent is revoked, all action stops. Non-negotiable. This runs into something I call the top's dilemma. Oh, what exactly is the top's dilemma? With any sort of interaction in this way, there's always somebody that is driving the interaction. There's always a proactive party. You can't have two tops because then they're both trying to top each other. The scene falls apart. No one is really willing to give up control. You can't have two bottoms because nothing really happens. Nobody initiates the action. Each person wants to be the passive one involved in the interaction. There was that term that you were talking to me about earlier. Lesbian sheepitude. Essentially what it is is that a female sheep indicates her sexual interest by standing stock still and not moving. Someone has to be the active party. And when you have lesbian sheepitude, it's two sheep together attracted to each other, standing stock still and batting their eyeballs at each other, and no forward progress is made. Someone has to make the first step. The burden lies on the person that has to make that first step. Yes, the burden lies on the initiator, whether 
it's somebody that you're interacting with sexually that you've done it with multiple times, whether you're going in for the first kiss with somebody that you feel like you're making a connection with, you're the one taking the risk. You're the one that doesn't know if the person's going to react negatively to it, but somebody has to make that initial proactive move. Essentially, what the top's dilemma is, is that anytime you are the person taking the proactive position in any sort of interaction, whether it's a play partner that you've done multiple scenes with, or whether you're going in to kiss somebody for the first time, you are assuming the risk of consent violation. The bottom in the scene is assuming the physical and emotional risk, but you as the top, the one that is dictating the action, are assuming the risk of being accused of violating consent. On top of that, you are also taking on the responsibility of moving the scene forward, reading your bottom as well as you can, try to gauge what is and what is not okay with them, dictating the pacing, trying to determine whether that pacing is good for your bottom, whether to increase it, whether to decrease it, essentially running the entire scene, making sure that it's a pleasurable experience for everyone involved. This is the top's dilemma. You open yourself up, you put yourself out there, and you run the risk of being accused of the violation. It's not only a social stigma, but can also carry legal repercussions. As someone who is a switch, I certainly know what you're talking about. When you are the person that is doing the leading of the action, when I'm interacting with someone and they are the passive receptive party that is taking what it is I'm doing with them, whether it's me leaning in for the first kiss, whether it's me initiating a back rub, whether it's me proposing a strap-on scene, I'm taking the risk of rejection by opening myself out there. I'm also taking the risk of reading them wrong, of proposing action that's something that's not enjoyable for them. So you are having to be proactive and dictate how a scene goes I certainly know that when I've leaned in for a kiss for the first time, that's scary because the person could dodge. Oh, definitely. And you could have completely read them wrong and then Mm -hmm. they go and tell their friends, oh, this person's just a creep and Mm -hmm. I don't know why they were getting this vibe from me, why they decided they wanted to try and initiate any sort of interaction. You're taking on that The vulnerability of initiating. Yeah. It can be a very vulnerable place to be mm-hmm. but somebody has to move the action you can't, or else you're stuck in lesbian sheepitude yeah you can't have two passive interactors you can't have two active interactors i know we are both switches and we will go back and forth to who <laughs> is that's the best way to do it switches yeah, we often kind of wrestle it out yeah yeah uh-huh and we take turns topping each other i like taking turns it's true I know this is a bit of a heavy topic. It's an important one. And I'm glad that we're bringing it up. We'll probably bring it up more. We have only touched upon the tip of the larger iceberg that is the topic of consent. It's fucking complex is what it is. And it's going to keep continuing to be complex because there's no right or wrong answer to if you're in a scene and you're the one in charge, how soon after it seems like you've gone too far with your bottom, do you stop? 
I've heard of consent violations with that, where they've started crying during a scene, but it's been about 30 seconds before the person that's the proactive party stops the action and calls it. How soon after you see somebody reacting in a negative way is reasonable for you to be able to stop and reassess the situation. And what if it's someone like me that becomes a hot mess and cries all over the place, but doesn't want you to stop? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or what do you do when your bottom isn't communicating to you either in nonverbal or verbal ways and is just enduring what you're dishing out and you find out later on that you went too far, but -hmm. they didn't want to stop it because they didn't want to tap out. That is the top's dilemma. That is the top's dilemma. We would love to know your thoughts about this, about consent in general, your thoughts on the top's dilemma, your insights if you've bottomed a lot. Give us a call. Again, the number is 614-733-4739. Also known as 614-R-DeGray. Or you can email us at rain, R-A-I-N, at raindegray.com. Share your thoughts and experiences. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, they just might be featured in an upcoming podcast. If you enjoy these podcasts and you want to get more of Rain to Gray, I can be found at raindegray.com. I am Rain to Gray on Facebook. I am Rain DeGray on FetLife. I am Rain DeGray on Twitter, and I am Rain DeGray on Instagram. If you have any questions or comments, I can be reached at rain at raindegray.com. Go ahead and look me up, shoot me a message. I have an advice column as well as a podcast, and those can be found on all of the fine platforms I just mentioned. I am super excited for today's guest. Amy Baldwin actually has her own podcast, Shameless Sex Podcast, which I recently guested on. Go ahead and check that out if you're curious. She's now returning the favor and joining us. She is an educator, a coach, a podcaster, all of my favorite things. She's really well-spoken, and I cannot wait to have her on with us. Let's get started, shall we? I first met you a decade ago when your mother was doing Pure Pleasure down in Santa Cruz at her old location. Yes, it has been a decade. I mean, I've been working as a sex educator in the sex toy industry for over a decade, so that makes sense. How old were you when your mother started Pure Pleasure? We started Pure Pleasure together. 2008 was when we opened. We worked on the concept for about two years, and I went to school for psychology and human sexuality was on a track to potentially become a sex therapist. And one of our class field trips, we went to see Good Vibrations in the Bay Area. And at that time, we didn't have anyone in Santa Cruz, any adult stores that were offering educational classes, like the ones that you teach. So I called my mom and I was like, mom, you're looking for a business opportunity because she was, she wanted to do something that benefited women, like something about women's empowerment, um, mostly based on her own sexual trauma that happened in the past and her unempowered mother that had recently passed at that time. It just inspired her to do something that really supported women. She was not thinking it would have anything to do with sexuality because she was not on that track. She, My mom does not have a history of working in anything in the adult realm. I was the one that was on that track. So when I mentioned that idea to her, she liked the idea, but she was a little bit like me. I, I would be doing that. And we had this 
whole setup where I would be working the front end of the store. She would kind of be more behind the scenes. But what ended up happening was when we opened, she was a natural at working with people. She was fearless in talking about sexuality, had no shame and was so curious and open to learning how to speak with open, non-judgmental communication um, to learn more about how she could speak to people with more gender inclusivity. And she, since then, works in the store more than I do. In fact, I actually don't even work in the store anymore. Now it's her store. It was an idea that just kind of happened. I ended up not becoming a sex therapist from working at Pure Pleasure. I realized I'm more interested in the coaching realm or working with people on where they're stuck and how to get them to where they want to go. Also known as giving them the tools for more joy, connection and pleasure as opposed to spending all the time in childhood trauma, which is very important. And I already have my own therapist. I would need like five other therapists if I was doing that all the time. This is the track that that we ended up going on. And yeah, over, over 10 years later and still doing sex education classes every week, everything from what you just taught, rope bondage, uh, strap on sex, tantra, um, you know, blowjob 101, all kinds of things and offerings. And and it's so wonderful to own a store with my mom. I, I honestly, people think it's odd. They're like, you you sell sex toys with your mother and what kind of relationship is that and yeah we're not in porn together but we uh we just have a really open honest connection and the one of the best things about owning a store with my mom is that i trust her and she trusts me more than anyone in the world like you always hear about these business relationships that go to hell you know people like like lovers start a business and then they break up and the business is like goes bankrupt and or even just friends starting a business or someone you don't even know and trust is i think is a big thing and for us it's just been so easy in that way because we work really well together and no one questions the other one. It's just, she's got it. And it's a really, really sweet thing for us to share too. Just, I'm really, feel really blessed to have that with her. Trust is a huge thing. And what people often don't realize is that going into business with someone, it's like being married to them. You're tying your credit, your, your finances. You need to trust someone implicitly And you are right. I have heard of many stories of businesses going awry because you end up paired with someone who is not as trustworthy as you would wish them to be. And who could you trust more than your mother? Yeah, I've always really admired the relationship that the two of you have and how open and honest the two of you are. One thing that I want to pick up, you had mentioned that you don't work at Pure Pleasure anymore. Why is that? So there's a couple of reasons. One, working in retail for so many years, it just, it gets a little, little old. And I started doing coaching and I really love working with clients one-on-one or leading retreats or weekend long workshops. So my heart was kind of going in a different direction. And upon starting the podcast, it really changed things because with a podcast, you start to develop fans and you're, you're in videos, you're, you have a, we've had fan base for years. And for me, it was a newer thing to have a fan base from my voice being on the air. All of a sudden, being in the retail store, people would come in and uh, they weren't necessarily cornering me, but I felt a little bit trapped to a certain degree where I had to be there to connect with these people. And I also didn't want to let them down, too. So that's a little conflicting. Uh, So there's that part that it was a little overwhelming in that way, in, in that I didn't have the ability to regulate that when I was working on shift in the store. So there's that piece. 
There also was a little bit of a stalking issue and it's a, a stalking stalker issue that is a combination of having a podcast and also being on the cover of our local magazine here in Santa Cruz called The Good Times. If you're born and raised in Santa Cruz, such as myself, when you get on the cover of The Good Times, it's kind of exciting and a big deal. And my co-host and I were on the cover of The Good Times with a book uh, that said sex on it. And there's a whole article written about us. And shortly after that, I had a, a stalker that started to, uh, I will call it a stalker. You know, it, it feels a little funky to me, but it really, it really was that they were crossing boundaries. They came in the store a number of times. They were following me places online. They were asking about me. It was almost like they thought they had a very personal relationship with me, even though they did not. And they sent me a email with photos of themselves half naked with whips and chains and various things along those lines. At that point, I decided that it just didn't make sense for me to be in a place where people could find me whenever they wanted to. I can so relate to that. <laughs> yeah. Are you you had a you had a stalker from teaching at our store. Yes. Uh-huh. I one of the worst <laughs> stalkers I've had and I've had a multitude of them. I did pick up from pure pleasure. He attended the class and decided we were soulmates to a level he started hounding me on FetLife. He got very upset that I wasn't willing to interact with him. I believe he went to the Pure Pleasure Yelp page and started yes. yeah, started leaving reviews about me. Mm-hmm. And then he tracked down me on a number of uh, social media platforms and started leaving reviews and comments. It was a level of obsession that was really unpleasant. And it went on for a significantly long time. I think he might have actually ended up getting kicked off of FetLife. Hopefully he's focusing that energy and attention somewhere else. Both of us put ourselves out there trying to reach the world. And indeed what we're trying to do is to help people and to make them feel more comfortable in their skin and to spread a little positivity around a subject that people get really hung up on, sex. I don't know if you're aware of this, but you are a fairly attractive woman Oh, I am? Thanks. (laughs) True story. And when fairly attractive women that have confidence and are talking about SEX put themselves out there in the public forum, 99.9% of your interactions are going to be awesome. It's the the 0.0% where you realize, oh, this is a little, this is not good. And the, the way that your store's laid up, there's not really a back entrance. Mm-mm. There's only the one in and out. And what you've just related, I've heard multiple women say from working in sex stores, is that men will come and you're behind the counter and they get to ask you questions. You're kind of a captive audience. And yeah. there is going to be a small percentage, hashtag not all men, that will take advantage of the fact that there is an attractive woman behind the counter who has to be there for the whole course of the day. Mm-hmm. It was a scary time because I don't walk around fearful that someone is going to attack me. And this person never said they were going to attack me in any way. But it came into peer pleasure a number of times. 
asking about me by name once they came in when I was there and just the way that they were looking at me and the things they were saying under their breath, something about it, maybe I could be their wife. And then they came in another time and asked uh, one of my employees if I wanted to go to Hawaii with them, just things like that, just behaviors that were a little like, all right, this is a little I unpredictable. A little, I don't know if this is a stable human being. And I did stop working in the store. I also was looking over my shoulder when I was walking around for a while. It just brought up this new fear that I wasn't really having to address or feel. And I'd go for you know a hike in the woods and I would decide that I couldn't have my headphones on because I needed to be able to hear what was behind me. And that slowly faded away over time. But there was a grieving process in that that I was experiencing that and because it was less freedom. I felt like some of my freedom was not necessarily taken away because I'm not going to go full victim story here with this experience. That's just how I was left feeling in that regard. So I'm just more cautious of my time and energy. And we're careful at Pure Pleasure. Being a woman working alone in an adult store, you have to be cautious in, and also in terms of your interactions with folks. I'm glad that you brought this up. It's something that with the Me Too movement that's happening for all of human history, women couldn't vote. A woman in until 1968, I believe, 1970, not that long ago, could not take out a loan unless her husband or her father signed off on it. 1968, it's like, we are not going to loan you any money out of the bank. Women couldn't vote. We were literally property. And if you've had millennia of men being women or property, women, when I marry them, they become mine to do with as I will. And really, one of the things that changed this significantly was World War II. And when World War II happened, women were actually working for the first time. And they're like, you have to work because it's a patriotic war effort. And then men come back and it's like, okay, you did good jobs, little ladies. All right, uh, put it back on the house dress and go home and cook meals for your husband and pop out babies. And women are like, wait, we worked. We were able to to earn our own money. We enjoyed it. We're not going to give that up. And men are still having a hard time. I get it all the time. I don't go to dance floors. I long ago lost the privilege of going anywhere with headphones. I don't have that privilege. I don't wear tight, provocative clothing when I'm going outside my house. President Trump came out and said, it's a scary time for boys out there. No, no, it's not a scary time. Don't put your hands on people unconsensually. How is that so hard to grasp? What's scary about, I no longer have the privilege of interacting with someone else's flesh, whether or not they will it? Men are freaking out that women are saying, no, you don't actually get the right to touch me unless I consent to it. And that's not a privilege that women have had, the, the power over their own bodies. And, mm -hmm. and now, now we're reclaiming it for the first time in human history. I have power over my own bodies. In ancient Roman times, a woman was property. And not only would women tend to be married off at around the age of 12, but her hymen was what was considered valuable. So when the father married off his daughter, he would have to stand in the room and he would watch his daughter's husband deflower his daughter. The marriage wasn't considered valid until the husband's dick had gone inside his daughter and the father had to be there to watch it unfold. And that's what considered the marriage to be valid. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, women were property and now we're not. And society's having to change and adapt for the fact that women aren't property anymore. Women are, are really <laughs> happy about it. Guys are having a little trouble adjusting. <laughs> 
Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It, I love hearing the history of that. And also your uh, comment about the, the hymen and the father watching the daughter lose her virginity. And I just just got this thought like that. That was that being a norm, that being a normal practice then. And now that is what you only see in fetish porn, right? It's, it's, there's like these old practices that were a normal standard, you know, people having sex with their cousins and brothers and sisters. And now it's just this part of this fetish culture, but really there's actually some truth based on it. And that's a kind of a tangent there, but I just thought it was interesting that you highlighted that piece there that people are uh, incorporating in pornographic world. So traditionally the options that women have been offered is virgin or whore. You, you get to be a pure mother or you get to be spreading your legs for all and sundry and they don't know how to fit women in between those two black and white opposites. By putting yourself out there as a woman who's owning your sexuality, what I would get is... <laughs> If anyone's ever watched any of the work that I've done, it, it can definitely fall under extreme BDSM. I would get women approaching me that were completely impressed and blown away and felt really positive after watching it. And when I first started doing what I did, I was concerned that uh, there were women that would look at the stuff I was doing and feel that it wasn't feminist or feel that it was not presenting women in the best light. And that was not what I got at all. I got really positive feedback of women that said that the work I was doing allowed them to feel comfortable in their own skin and owning their own sexuality. It was men that I would get the rape threats and the kidnapping threats and the, like you'd mentioned earlier, I want you to be my wife. I get a marriage proposal a week. And wow. I don't know what these people are, because I'm very clear that I'm married Somehow they're able to track me down on social media, miss all the bits about how I'm married, and because they're boners in their eyesight or something, they can't see past their boner, <laughs> and they're proposing marriage to me. And it's like, I don't, uh, that's not how I would view marriage, but they're sincere. And I'm sure that the person you had that saw you on the cover and felt that you were a soulmate and that you should be their wife. And where it gets scary is that they become indignant that you're not acting the way that they know you should be acting because they have an mm -hmm. artificial sense of familiarity with you. Yeah. yeah, I remember going to the AVN show for the first time a number of years ago, and I was there actually representing a, a harness line, spare parts harnesses. So I was not wearing harnesses. I was a business person talking about harnesses, but it's also the porn awards show. And I was very intrigued by almost, I was almost like psychoanalyzing everyone that was walking around and the dynamics that happened there of how many um, porn fans talk to the porn stars as if they have a personal relationship with them. It was very interesting to me. And I, I couldn't tell if, if, you know, it seems like the actors and actresses there, they're kind of they just go along with it as part of the role and you know, they keep their fan base. But it was interesting to see how easily it goes into that. Once you spend so much time or you maybe you just see a naked body online and you automatically decide that you have some sort of personal relationship with them or some sort of entitlement to their body. You And I don't know how that is, is in your experience, if by being in the public eye with your naked body, if all of a sudden people think that now when they see you, they can actually touch you or they just treat you differently than, say, just hearing your voice on a podcast. I'm sure you get it much more than I would. I do. 
Oh, yeah. It's jarring. And I've been on both sides, actually, because I watched porn before I started participating in it. And I understand because I've been on the other side of the coin. When you see someone, you know what their body looks like. You know how they hold their body, how they breathe, how they hold their face, how they laugh, how they walk. And it's hard not to have an artificial sense of familiarity. And I would find these people and I would see them online and I would think that they were dazzling and amazing and Greek goddesses and gods and surely they sweat sparkles. And then you meet them in real life and you realize they're just human and you've been putting them on a pedestal as these flawless beings. It would always be a little disappointing to meet someone in real life and be like, oh, you're cross-eyed and you have a hair lip. And <laughs> uh, I somehow missed all of that on mm -hmm. seeing you on film and and what they're editing you in such a way you can't see that you're cross-eyed and having to realize that I had this, I felt like I knew this person and they didn't mm -hmm. know me. The knowing only went one way. So you're putting yourself out, but because you're putting yourself out, all these people that are listening to you feel that they know you and you can't alienate your fans. I've had people that have been very, very familiar with my body and my time and my energy because I somehow owe it to them because they're fans. And we certainly have a dialogue that's happening throughout the whole world. The Me Too movement is huge, but we still have a long way to go. I feel mm -hmm. happy about the fact that we've started the conversation this conversation wouldn't have been happening 30, 40, 50 years ago. You know, my mother actually had to go on marches and start a protest because when she went to college, she wasn't allowed to wear pants. Mm -hmm. She's over the age of 18 and she's in college, but women only wore skirts. So times are changing. They're, mm -hmm. not, they're not changing as fast as I would like, but they are changing. I just learned this term the other day that was new to me. I'm not sure if you heard it. It's um, I think it's incel, and it I think it's oh. it stands for um involuntarily invol in celibate. celibate. Yes, yes, that whole thing. And I, I mean, people have been talking, but I didn't, I hadn't, hadn't heard that term until recently. In that, you know, and specifically about men who aren't getting access to sex or slash you know connection with women's bodies, and therefore they develop a whole bunch of rage and decide they want to shoot a whole bunch of people. And um, to me, when I hear that, I'm like, that's it's not it's not about sex like that's not about sex it's that's a whole different thing in the way that we're putting things in these little narrow boxes that don't really necessarily seem related the same thing with rape in the, in the slut shaming and to say that that it's about it is about sex and it's, it goes so much more beyond that there's like this bullying aspect it's um, there's the power piece and I remember when you were teaching at Pure Pleasure and one of our customers became this little fan of yours that became a stalker and then you were coming back to teach and you had told us that this happened and so we actually asked them not to come to the workshop that's when the bullying started you know once they were actually told that they didn't get access to the thing that they wanted which was to be in person with you and gawk at you and make you really uncomfortable and feel really unsafe um, I'm sure they had other intentions but that's what it felt like for you and um, then they started bullying and the, the cyber bullying you know they were doing that on Yelp with the Yelp reviews and sending us emails and probably posting all over about you and I mean that's I think is more of the issue is a, a lack of power, a feeling of powerlessness, and then an abuse of power that is often getting directed at women. And that's, yeah, that's that's what we're dealing with here. <laughs> uh, th these were the, the incels were men that throughout history would have been given wives. They mm -hmm. wouldn't have had to work for it. They wouldn't have had to woo it. You round up your 30 goats, you're able to buy yourself essentially your own personal vagina. 
and her thoughts on the matter didn't count for much. And as society has shifted and women have had economic power, now you can't just buy your own personal vagina for 30 goats. You actually have to be desirable enough that a woman wants to choose to spend her time with you. And when men don't get that, some men get very, very angry. My stalker fan that I had, the reason that I'd had to contact you is that he'd already started bullying me online, even before it had gotten to, I'm not comfortable with him in the class. He was sending me a, a lot of emails and there was a lot of anger behind the emails. And what I've noticed is when women get rejected, they get sad. It hurts them to be rejected and they're like, I'm going to sequester for a little bit and eat some ice cream. When men get rejected, that rejection veers over more often to anger or rage as opposed to sadness. Mm -hmm. We live in interesting times. And I try not to be too down about it because what I'm seeing is that there is a lot more discussion. And we have a platform to be able to speak about things that we didn't used to. And our voices are being heard. So all of this oppression that you hear about, it's happening less than it ever has had before. And we are being more heard than we ever have before. I want to see significant change in my lifetime. If you think about it, in my father's lifetime, he has watched the invention of television, the invention of the internet, the invention of cell phones, in a single lifetime, three things that have really changed the course of human history, television, internet, cell phones, uh, it's all happened in, in a single lifetime. So I think that you and me have front row seats to watch everything unfold for human history in a way that is faster and more exciting and more dynamic than in any other time that humans have been on the planet. And that's what gives me hope. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. Well said. We're going to start to wrap this up. Before we go, is there anything that you would like to pitch or promote to our listeners? Well, dear listeners, um, let's see, I'll start with the podcast. So I myself have a podcast that has um, a lot less fun sounds and radio lab vibe than uh, Rain's lovely podcast. Uh, our podcast is called Shameless Sex. It's on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, all of the apps. And it is a podcast all about sexuality and how we can have conversations around sexuality to decrease shame. And it's playful and it's informative and it's entertaining. And Rain will be on our podcast as well. So if you can't get enough of her, you can come check us out for a moment. And, and then Pure Pleasure, we've talked about a lot. But if you go to Pure Pleasure, shop.com that is my mom's adult store our listeners get 15% off if you use code SHAMELESSPP in all caps and there's some videos in there that I teach workshops and all of that but the best way to find me is to go to shamelesssex.com and I will be on there thank you so much for joining us may I say in closing you give great voice oh it's very soothing and you sound really professional and it's relaxing. I, I think you have an amazing podcast voice. Ah, yes. I like to put everyone in a deep meditation as I speak. Thank you. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. And we'll talk to you soon. I want to thank Amy Baldwin of the Shameless Sex Podcast for joining us. I know that this was a bit of a heavier topic. It was a little bit heavier than we usually do, but necessary. Very necessary. Normally, we try and go for a fun and lighthearted sort of energy. Today was a little less so, but I still think it was an important conversation to have, and I'm glad that we tackled it. 
Yeah, it's definitely a complex topic, one that I am sure we will discuss a lot more in the future. Undoubtedly. I wanted to remind everybody once again, if you have any questions, comments, feedback of any form, give us a call on our call-in phone line, 614-733-4739. Also known as 614-R-DeGray. Also, the podcast can be found pretty much everywhere. It's on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spreaker, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, all the places. Last episode, I sent out a challenge, and I want to set out that challenge again, and I'll probably set it out every episode. If you like what we're doing, if you love listening to us, tell one person about it. Go out and share it with your friends. That's a great challenge. I like it. We couldn't do it without our listeners, and it's so awesome to see the listener count going up month after month. It is really positive feedback, and without you, it would just be us sitting in my bedroom talking at each other. Follow, rate, and review. We appreciate all of you. Again, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next time.